0: Welcome to Saving the Game. This is
1: episode 80, Mechanical Morality Systems, recorded Monday, February 22nd of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter.
0: Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant and I'm Peter. And Peter, you did a pretty good job with the last episode. I got to say that. Oh, thank you. Yep. Uh, you're going to be editing this one as well. Yep. Maybe the one after that, depending on how baby time goes, because I'm having a baby in three days. Yeah. Well, ah. well your wife is, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm I'm totally, totally the one panicking and freaking out about that.
1: Yeah. your She's... Your wife is kind of a calm
0: soul, actually. She is. I I was legitimately freaking out because I was not anxious enough about the whole process, which tells you something about my mental state where I'm going, I'm not nervous. Should I be nervous about that? I think I should be nervous about not being nervous. <laughs> and I, this is not actually me exaggerating. I was seriously having this mental conversation.
1: That's okay. I felt guilty about not feeling guilty about feeling guilty or something like that i don't know if yeah it's it's, you get those weird recursive emotional loops and
0: it's no fun no it's not but you know what is fun hmm tavern con yeah so i've i've heard a little bit about this tell me about this this is through inroads right it is and it occurred to me uh talking with mike pern about this that we don't do enough to mention the fact that saving the game is syndicated through and kind of partnered up with Inroads Ministries and Game Store Profits, which is a podcast that they do. Inroads Ministries, there's a big link to them on our website, but uh, if you're not familiar with them, check them out. They do some good articles. They do uh, a very good podcast if you're a Christian board gamer or like board games at all, and uh, well worth checking out. It's INNROADSMINISTRIES.COM.
1: Well, to say nothing of the fact that there's also another podcast on their network
0: that you do with Mike, so... Yeah, exactly, and that's the MacGuffin factory. But En-ROADS as a whole is awesome, and I strongly recommend checking it out. Yeah, they're good
1: people. They do interesting stuff. But yeah. this is, there's one particular interesting thing that they're doing coming up in June that we should be plugging here.
0: Yes, this is their annual fundraiser. Uh, basically a big old game day that they call TavernCon. And this is going to be Saturday, June 18th, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., in Warren, New Jersey. This is going to be at the Stonecrest Church in Warren. There's, I'll put a link to the official TavernCon page in the show notes. There's no entry fee for TavernCon, and lunch and dinner is provided free of charge while supplies last. Donations are accepted if you want to help them cover that, but they don't want anybody to go hungry. There will also be snacks and other stuff available for purchase throughout the day. Um, obviously, those aren't free, you know, but if you want to go get a a cookie or something like that you know bag of chips whatever they've got that for you and tavern con is all about board games and card games and just getting together and playing games not a whole lot of rpgs i'm given to understand but uh it's mostly board and card game uh they have a library but you are welcome to bring your own games as well they have a lot of giveaways lined up they've gotten some support from publishers for this uh that's very exciting and they've got at least one guest that they're mentioning on their website, which is Jack Birkenstock from the Badana Group. And man, gonna if you're only going to
1: have one guest.
0: Well, I think they're, they're going to have some others as well, uh, but I'm less familiar with them. Obviously, we've had Jack on Saving the Game before. We really should have him on again at some point. There's a, a standing invitation that I've talked to him about. So, yeah. yes. But he's going to be there as a guest. So if you want to meet Jack, it's a good time to do it. I'm given to told he's going to be running at least one session of something. The other thing I wanted to plug is a con coming up a little bit later in the year that I will be at and will, in fact, be volunteering at. This is Electric City Comic Con. Now, if you do a Google search for Electric City Comic Con, you're going to get two. Go figure. Okay. Both of them are run by libraries. Go figure. One is in Schenectady, New York, and one is in Anderson, South Carolina. I'm talking about the one in Anderson, South Carolina. (laughs) You don't want to drive all the way to Schenectady? (laughs) Not significantly, no. I mean, I kind of do, because I've never been anywhere
1: up there. That's what, probably about a 12- to 14-hour drive for you or something like that?
0: Uh, I don't know. Long. It'd, <laughs> it, it'd take a while. Anyway, uh, Electricity Comic Con. It's Saturday, August 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. This is going to be at the Anderson Main Library in Anderson, South Carolina. Again, no entry fee. This con is mostly cosplay, writing panels, some board gaming, a vendor and artist hall. It's a little bit more of a culture con, Uh, heavy focus on cosplay, and they're really working hard to get local artists and vendors and writers into this con. Uh, Because it is a library con, it's put on by a public library, it is extremely kid friendly. We went last year, and my daughter, who was three, had just turned three, had plenty to do. So, lots of good stuff for very young kids all the way up to adults. Like I said, I will be attending, and I will probably be volunteering, at least in the board game area, for a little bit of the time. So, if you want to meet me, you know, and you're kind of in that area, check it out. Uh, I mean, it's only seven hours. So I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, people should travel from all over to go to this con. But if you're in the area, I really would encourage you to check it out. It's very good. And they rocked it last year. They were expecting 300 people and hoping for 600, and about 1,600 turned out. Yeah, they nailed it. They had a great time. Everybody said it was good. And they are really trying to grow it as fast as they can.
1: Well, and uh, just one quick little aside, Um, I'm going to embarrass Grant a little bit here and say that if you're on the fence about whether or not you want to meet Grant in person, yes, you do. (laughs) Speaking as somebody who has met Grant in person, you do want to meet him in person. So go to the con, shake his hand, make him feel a little bit awkward about how awesome he is on the podcast. It's all
0: good. Yeah, well, one of those things can be done. (laughs) You can meet me. I guess you can shake my hand. All right. Eh, you're not going to shake my hand. I'll probably just give you a bear hug. Probably. It's what I do.
1: That, that was how he greeted me the first time we met the Con. That's how person. I greeted
0: everybody at like There was Fear so the much con. hugging at Fear the Con. <laughs> yeah, it was great. All right, uh, let's get into our topic, because this is going to be a fairly complicated topic to talk about.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly was the first
0: time. First, we've got a lot of scripture. Why don't you start us off with Proverbs?
1: All right. Uh, this is Proverbs 12.5. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful.
0: And our second one is from Job, chapter 28, verses 20 to 28. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way of it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding.
1: And the last one we have here is Romans twelve twenty one, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
0: So we're talking, well, okay, this is actually a little complicated too. We wanted to talk about Alignment tonight, and other systems for measuring morality, and making morality something that you represent mechanically in games. That's kind of where we started, because, well, I'm having a baby in three days, I didn't feel like doing a whole ton of prep work, and we'd been kind of bouncing the idea around lately on some other episodes anyway, so we figured let's go back to it. Uh, For those unfamiliar, Alignment was the topic of Episode 2, of saving the game. Back when we didn't After, know how
1: to record good audio, because yeah, I listened oh, to man. that episode today.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I cringed so it, hard, I almost
0: fell over. It was rough. Yeah, yeah we didn't, we didn't have a podcast.
1: We didn't have we didn't good have, sound equipment. We were awkward with each other. It was bad.
0: Yeah, it, both of us were recording on like little headset mics, which don't capture any bass. So we both kind of sound like we're talking like this, and it's really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was bad. Also, I was not editing well. Like, your first time editing was a lot better than my second time. So, you know why that was.
1: You went through and learned all of the hard lessons beforehand. You imparted them to me, and I paid attention. Okay. We also are using much better sound equipment than we used back then. Like, that helps. Orders of
0: magnitude better. It does. But this is not a a podcast about podcasting. Not yet, anyway. So, anyway, we went back and listened to it. I was kind of bouncing it around. And one of the things I did was post out on the internet, Hey, what's your favorite system for representing morality in game, you know, or measuring it, that sort of thing? And fully half of the responses were, Well, I hate alignment. I or, oh, I despise trying to represent anything like that in my character mechanically. It everything has to be pure role playing and some of it was extremely haughty and some of it was very down to earth, look, I just I haven't found a system that works for that to my satisfaction. And there were some responses that were actually, hey, this is my favorite system. But it was interesting that at least half of them were, oh, I hate that. And it got me thinking that maybe it's not so much, hey, let's talk about these different ways to do it. And more talk about why it works when it works, what you're trying to do when you're representing morality with some sort of mechanical system, why it fails, and what, when it's okay to say, no, let's have no system for that, let's just leave it alone. And examine what we're ultimately trying to accomplish and what's happening at the table when we measure it. So that's where I want to start this yeah, off.
1: Yeah, because like so many other things in role-playing, there really aren't hard and fast rules for a lot of this that will apply to every game. But also right. like a lot of other things in role-playing... The more you think about it and the more deliberate you are about things, the higher
0: chance of success you'll have. Exactly. And it may help you choose the right system or import another system into your game or use a system that you don't really like very much in a much more effective way to suit your story. Or, for that
1: matter, to do the whole system hacking thing and you know, pull elements of a system that you generally don't care for but you want to use this one specific part of in another game. Yeah, exactly. Or another system that you really love and want to import parts of but wouldn't quite work for the game you're running. Right. And, of course, if you're writing
0: a game, this is something you need to think about. Oh, definitely. So let's talk real quick, real quick, let's talk about what the point of representing morality with some sort of mechanic is in a role-playing game.
1: The first thing that comes to mind is guidance for players. It can be useful for new players to have just kind of a
0: set batch of moral outlooks to choose from Mm -hmm. and this is I think the classic D&D alignment it is Uh, you're you're lawful good you're lawful neutral you're chaotic evil you know whatever it is this is a very rough sketch of the kind of character you are and the kind of person you are it's super easy you are you know you know happy go lucky freedom loving good guy I think we all kind of know that. We we have idea of what that is in our head and we can just run with it. Yeah. Cool. That's super easy and I don't have to worry about the complexities of character creation and, you know, a really good dramatic, well-designed character and personality. I can just say um I think my guy would do this. What do I roll?
1: Yeah. I mean, this could be as simple as being like There are places in this setting where slavery is legal. I want to be a radical abolitionist.
0: Boom. You got your good character right there. Yeah. It it can, however you define it, some basic archetypes of characters are really easy and really helpful. And likewise, I think it's a good challenge for veteran players to say, hey, you usually play this. Try something else. Right? And that works very well in more complicated systems. This also works really well for people like me
1: that really don't have a whole lot of acting range. Grant has often said that I generally tend to play myself in games, and well, and we all do to some
0: degree. But we you do stick pretty close to the core.
1: Yeah, I. Some of it is that I'm a little bit like Carrot Ironfounderson in the Discworld novels, in that I'm a very simple person in a lot of ways. It's there's not a whole lot of. Um, depth or nuance to my personality kind of what you see is what you get so it can be hard for me to break away from that sometimes but man it's you know it's useful to have a challenge when you're gaming even just you know
0: to keep things from getting stale yeah the other thing that guidance does is it defines expectations ahead of time if we say hey we're all going to be good aligned characters where the GM says, listen, I want to run a campaign where everybody is good aligned or you're all neutral, you know, uh, you know, we're we're going to be playing kind of a, a gritty street gang kind of gang and I want everybody to be neutral or maybe evil, but, you know, I don't want anybody who's got a good alignment. You're all antiheroes, you know. Not my kind of game, but I can see a GM setting that as a restriction, saying. Sounds well, a little this bit like the uh,
1: Blades in the Dark game they talked about in a couple episodes yeah. of Fear the Boot recently.
0: Right, and maybe it might be better for that kind of game to say you can't be lawful. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's just sticking with a D and D alignment system. Uh, if this were a White Wolf game, you know, hey, you've got to make sure that one of these uh, vices is kind of your character archetype, that sort of thing. There are a lot of ways you can set that up, and it establishes a rough boundary for your group template or helps becomes part of the group template, and that's really good when you're setting up a game. I think it also helps players roleplay difficult characters. Even if it's a character that you're not necessarily wildly uncomfortable with or wildly against type, there are some characters who are just harder to play. Well, and I mean, there are characters that are
1: harder for some players to play than others. If you're the guy who always likes to play wizards, and this time you're trying to play a barbarian, sometimes it's nice to have something you're like, okay, well, this barbarian is chaotic good. At least I know what that means. I can kind of play around that, and then maybe I can
0: work in the barbarian stuff later. Exactly. I've played a, or tried to play a character at one point who was a poisoner, which is not at all my personality and that's also a difficult role to play because we're talking about a poisoner who is not a nice person but who is well respected in the village that's that's a tough line to walk how you know what kind of morality does he have that lets him be a person who is respected instead of you know a horrible outcast who you know everybody hates but goes to when they need to kill someone well, You, know, you described this the first time we,
1: we hit this uh, topic, and wasn't he mostly focused on,
0: like, hunting and stuff? Oh, sure. And that that was it. You know, he's he's got this I-want-to-help-the-village kind of personality and outlook on life. That was one of his big moral drivers was, you know, my job is to keep hunters safe by making their job easier. My job is to help keep horrible wild animals out of the village. Things like that. And he would also sometimes take money from people who wanted to kill someone surreptitiously, but he always managed to justify it to himself. Yeah. You know, he was a flawed character, but he definitely did not view himself as chaotic evil. Right. He was at best or at worst true neutral, you know, that, that kind of thing. So guidance helps more generally. You can set expectations for the game, that are not just about who the characters are, but what the world is like and what the story yeah, we're telling and this, is like.
1: This brings in a certain amount of implied story and implied setting. So, implied story wise, if you've got a mechanical alignment system, that tends to imply that your story is going to focus heavily on the struggle between mechanically represented poles. So, good versus evil, law versus chaos. Uh, I suppose there could be some other ones, you know, wildness versus civilization or that sort of a thing. And then mm-hmm. the implied setting is that those mechanical alignment representations have some actual temporal power in the world. There's some kind of a concrete, measurable force behind that besides, oh, that guy's a good person.
0: Right. We've talked about dualism. Uh, over the past few episodes, especially relating to our uh, episodes on uh, historical heresies and Gnosticism. And, you know, the D&D alignment system is very much a dualist system. You've got law and chaos and good versus evil. And so these fundamental forces are something that you look at and say, these are real forces in the universe, and they are represented in the material plane in certain ways. There, you can summon an elemental or an archon of those particular forces. What does that mean in the universe? Yeah, I mean, they
1: sometimes have their own languages that go with them. It's There was actually an episode of Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff where they discussed that a while ago. I don't know yep. the episode off the top of
0: my head, but it was interesting if you can find it. It was an interesting discussion, yeah. And so using that to set up story, is important and again it sets some expectations for the game but it's also a way of saying here's what's coming up in the world. I I think every D&D campaign is a little bit less exciting if you're not fighting an evil guy as the big bad at the very end. Yeah. It's it's not quite as satisfying because part of what you're buying into is a showdown between fantastic good characters and fantastic evil. Yeah, you need your
1: Sauron or your um your or your
0: Big your e- dragon yeah your
1: evil dragon or you know the your
0: maleficent whatever it is
1: yeah cthulhu <laughs> what,
0: whatever it is yeah. exactly the other interesting thing that these mechanical morality systems do or one of the others is that they put conflict and drama directly into the system in a place where it's really really important to characters and really this is about the only place that a system will tend to do that. If you have two characters who, however similar they are, have opposed moralities, you're naturally going to have tension there. And setting that up in the system is good. Likewise, if you have characters who have identical or close morality systems, or placement in that morality system, Even if there's a rivalry between them or some dispute about what the correct tactic is at a particular time, they're both on the same side. Plus, a good system will leave holes in those moralities for story to come in. My favorite example of this actually comes from... Well, one of my current favorites is 5th edition D&D. Which is very simple, right? The D&D alignment system is very simple, and it's one of the reasons people don't like It's, oh, we're just... Taking all of human personality and putting it into nine boxes—how boring! But what Fifth Edition does is it specifically encourages characters to have flaws. Well, and
1: just f- just to stop you for a second, that's also seven more boxes than we tend to put all of human personality on. And whenever we start talking politics with each other, so
0: well, okay, there's that. But the the thing about flaws is that flaws are the things that will make your character do things that they, they don't naturally do according to their alignment. So, okay, I'm a lawful good paladin. Cool. I have flaws that will make me act in some other way. What are they? And this is specifically called out. And I think for an entry-level game, which is kind of what 5th Ed D&D is, you know, like, it, it's not this complex ridiculous game. It's it is designed to be accessible to new players one of its one of its strengths i think that's really important because it says look this is generally what you are but it's more complex than that and here is a hook that you are giving the gm and you're giving other players and you're giving yourself to say look play this up explore this this is some a place where your character gets more complex and that's right there in the system likewise Having a system like, say, the Legend of the Five Rings honor system, which, you know, honor is kind of how morality is represented in that game. Honor has strong mechanical effects. Well, and it's interesting to kind of call out here that honor is not good versus evil. No, it's very different, but it is still what you view as right and wrong. Yeah. But there are things that only work when you have an honor of a certain level. There are things that you can only do when your honor is less than such and such or more than such and such. And that means that this character naturally has some conflict and drama built in because of their morality, right? It It's, there are things that they can do that no one else can because their honor is so high, or so low. And that's cool. That brings them into the story. And it means, hey, this person needs to do it. We need something from them, right? Which is drama.
1: Yeah, this this highly honorable lion clan samurai is the only one who can do this, or this honorless scorpion ninja is the only person that can do
0: this. Right. And likewise, that lawful good paladin or cleric, when they come up on some lawful evil paladins or clerics naturally have a conflict. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter that, you know, they might be otherwise mostly identical mechanically. There's an in the system something that says, hey, these are people you have a conflict with. Go at it. It's interesting on the extreme
1: ends of this kind of a thing that the effects can get really dramatically supernatural sometimes, too. Yeah, uh, one I can. One of, the, uh, one of the best examples that I always like to call out is when the Epic Level Handbook came out for 3.0 d way back in the day, we sat down and made characters for it, and I built this Archangel, and he had this ability called Positive Energy Aura or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember that.
1: Buzzed a army of skeletons and they crumbled to dust without him ever, like, physically interacting with them.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It can get extremely powerful, you know, when you kind of raise the, the power level higher and higher and higher. And that's cool. Yeah. I, it, it's an opportunity for fun and awesome. Let's not forget that. Yeah. it's
1: there. There are things that work when you have, like what I just described, when you have morality as a mechanical aspect of the game... That either wouldn't work otherwise or wouldn't work nearly as well.
0: Yeah. Mechanical effects can be cool. Let's not forget that. You know, the, guy, the paladin who swings his sword and, you know, smites something evil with smite evil has a moment of awesome. And that's great for the player. And that only works because he's saying, you are something I am opposed to. I find you abhorrent. My character finds you abhorrent. I'm going to take advantage of that and use the system to have a moment of fun and awesome.
1: Well, and it also allows you to differentiate between differing characters with similar, but not identical concepts. So take that, take that paladin. He squares off against some big, nasty demon or dragon or something like that, uses smite evil and takes it down in just a couple of hits. He goes up against a, true neutral mercenary with a whole bunch of levels of fighter. And suddenly he gets the floor mopped with him because he's oh, very good at fighting. It's very different. Yeah. He's very good at fighting supernatural evil things. But he is, he is good at fighting evil, not necessarily just good at fighting full stop.
0: Right. And this is, I think, one area where I think D&D has traditionally fallen flat. And maybe traditionally isn't the right word. Since three, since third edition, I think it's fallen flat because third edition went out of its way and fourth edition did this to a certain degree. I'm less familiar with fifth edition. I think they've gotten away from this a bit, but it's still kind of there lurking in the background. Everything is exactly the same on both sides. If you if there is a power on one side, there is an identical power on the other side and they're flavored a little bit differently, but they are otherwise exactly the same. Yeah, that's so boring.
1: Paladin versus Blackguard, Archangel have, versus Demon Prince, etc. They
0: have almost exactly the same powers. It's oh uh I do 10d6. Good damage. I do 10d6 evil damage. Well, that's boring. That guy over there does 10d6 lawful damage. Right. It's basically the same thing repeated two times or four times, and it's super boring. And I think that's one thing that frustrates people is there's no distinction in the system in those cases. Whereas with something like L5R, there's a clear mechanical difference between things that very honorable characters do and have as advantages and things that very dishonorable characters do and have as advantages. And both they, of those can they they be advantageous, right? Exactly. But they are not symmetrical. Yeah. I mean, I
1: I remember discussions on the, the Watsy forums back in the day saying that um, good versus evil in D&D comes down to red versus blue sometimes. It's very... It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, sterile. It's a, sterile. It's I think is I'm a good word
0: looking for. That's a great word for it. There's it's flavorless. Yeah. You know, or I mean, yes. Okay. The only difference is the flavor text, but there, you know, if you look at, if you strip the flavor text away, I couldn't tell you what's what.
1: Yeah. Something that's kind of interesting since we're talking about D and D interestingly, another product made by the same company seems to get it a lot more interestingly like white and black in magic the gathering are nothing like each other. There's there's a few mechanics that overlap cuz they they do that with all of the opposed color pairs, but of course. It's it's a very different feel. I mean, white has all of these kind of protective effects and all these little tiny guys that can kind of, you know, you can get a whole
0: is greater than the sum of its parts kind of a thing. You get a Voltron kind of thing going where you get you know a little guy here a little guy here and then buff and buff and combine and all of a sudden everything's huge and awesome
1: yeah and nothing can hurt you and
0: black is uh we're going to nuke the board lots of control lots of
1: I'm going to uh, drain my own life away to do stuff I'm going to make you right. discard cards out of your
0: hand it's yeah. and some of that shifts from set to set but there is a there is a clear distinction between those yeah one other interesting mechanical effect is simply decision making yeah, and this is a I think a pain point for a lot of people. The can I do this or what does my character do? Because very often it becomes a I game. Yeah, but in a system that's designed for that, and a system that people kept uh, suggesting when I posted this out on the internet was the Pendragon system. Which if we ever do an actual play, I think we've got to do Pendragon at some point
1: yeah I've heard about it a couple of times but I've never actually seen the the material for it
0: yeah it's um it's King Arthur Pendragon it's knights performing chivalric deeds in the Arthurian tradition
1: yeah definitely something we should look at at some point I just haven't yet
0: yeah. I know it it's won some awards um it's widely considered one of the best underrated games out there but the um the morality system is you have these basically virtues and vices that are on a 20-point a scale. So, like, let's say I'm right in the middle, and I need... If I'm saying, do I do this thing, do I resist this thing? Like, um, let's say it's lust and chastity. Okay. Right? If I'm trying to be chaste, well, you know, I just roll a, a check against that. If I'm right in the middle, I'm, I'm trying to beat a 10 on my d20. Okay? If I'm a more chaste character, I have more points in chastity and I have less points in lust. So if I'm trying to do something where I need to have that, that lust thing come to the fore, it's harder for me, but it's easier for me to be chased. And so there's this scale going back and forth, these virtues and vices. So that's an interesting little thing where you get better at one and you kind of lose the other. And so you're trying to act one way or another and you check against that. Um, and you know, there are some, it's more complicated than a strict, uh, sliding scale because there are some bonuses and all this other stuff. I mean, I haven't seen the system. I'm just kind of going off descriptions, but ultimately that's what it comes down to. And that's a good system for, can I do this thing? Because it's, I've put, I've designed my character such that this is easy and this is hard, right? I'm good at resisting, Sedu- you know, seduction, but I'm really bad at resisting temptation to wrath.
1: Well, and it, that, okay. First of all, not only does that mirror people in the real world better, who are better and worse at resisting certain character flaws than others. Exactly,
0: but turns out when you have a more granular morality system, it's a little easier to represent things mechanically. Who knew? Yeah,
1: but that also is inherently very interesting, right? Because you can you can have people that. As long as the right set of circumstances don't come up, they either appear to be very good or very bad people. And then all of a sudden something comes up where somebody has a particular strength or weakness of character and you've got to reevaluate your opinion of them because they've acted in a way that you didn't think they
0: would. Exactly. Let's move on a little bit here. Another advantage of these morality systems being mechanical, it enables certain kinds of story.
1: Yeah, the Campbellian hero's journey is the one that really kind of springs to mind. This this whole epic good versus evil kind of a thing. We we've discussed a lot of the reasons why that would work in the previous parts of the conversation. Um, right, but this really does kind of lubricate that kind of tale. It it clears it away a lot it's of. It's not required. No, it certainly. But it makes isn't. it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, certainly when Tolkien was writing the Lord of the Rings, which is a very strong. Good versus evil, kind of a tale. Yep. The two-axis alignment grid hadn't even been conceived of yet. It wouldn't. Well, Of course yeah. not. D and D didn't come around for what another like
0: twenty-five years or something like that. Uh, longer than that, I think. I'm not sure.
1: Wasn't Lord of the Rings released like in 1950?
0: You know, I really don't know. I should. I'm a terrible Tolkien nerd. Uh, but I, I, don't I, know I should
1: it. too, and I don't off the top of my head. But I think it was about twenty-five years.
0: Yeah. On an unrelated note, I've been re- reading Tolkien's on fairy stories. It's an interesting essay
1: cool but interesting anyway (laughs) something written by
0: Tolkien is long you say Oh, okay fair enough it's kind of (laughs) obvious I suppose anyway one last thing that is good I think we've kind of hit on this a little bit but it's good to call it out specifically if you have these mechanical representations of morality in your game that immediately becomes a common language for describing morality in the game it's an easy way to say, hey, you have these attributes, and here they are clearly laid out on your character sheet. This is what we're talking about when I'm talking about a morality like this. The vampire humanity score, for example. Yeah, this vampire has really low humanity. He is super callous and does not care. This vampire's got really high humanity. He's barely vampiric, not just yeah, in ter- you know. He may, he be, may be a better like person a than some regular vampire. mortals. Well, no but you well, know if he, you're talking about like
1: a salubri or something from masquerade eh, some yeah, of those okay. people were darn virtuous
0: yeah but you know it's it's the idea that how in touch with humanity is he you know how much does he care for humanity which is kind of the morality system in that game it's it gives you a common language to say to as shorthand you know lawful good lawful neutral etc those are a shorthand that we can all use to describe characters we've been talking about honorable and dishonorable for L5R things like that. Now, we've kind of touched on this a little bit too, but there are reasons for avoiding this sort of mechanical representation of morality. Yeah. And the first I think is that people naturally find it confining. Whatever however granular you get, people somewhere someone's going to say, "Oh, I can't do my character properly in this system." Yeah. Now, I would
1: say that in the case of something like Pendragon that we just described. If you're saying that,
0: you're probably being stubborn if you haven't tried it. Well, I, I'm i sure somebody could come up with a legitimate character that doesn't quite fit those particular sure. traits and archetypes. But you know, I'm sure, but that brings to mind the phrase where there's a will, there's a way, too. Well, and that's, yes, but let's let's not pretend that people aren't, restri- you know, restricted by it. Sure. Somewhere, somebody's going to run into that. Well, and I mean, people can also find
1: an alignment system to be intimidating or if yes. if their group isn't comfortable with, here's the other thing, right? If you're, if you're doing a game where instead of having kind of a, a prescriptive system like D and D where it's based on levels and you get these certain points in the game where you just kind of, all of a sudden you have these new capabilities that unlock. If mm. you're, if you're actually like, building a character from the ground up using point by or life paths or whatever you're playing GURPS or Burning Wheel or Hero or Savage Worlds or any of the other number of ones where you construct a character yeah then a prescriptive alignment system or even a descriptive one feels a little weird with all of that other stuff it's like okay so I've gone through and I've fine-tuned and bought and carefully crafted all of these other aspects of my character and then his personality is going to come down to a three by three grid what
0: well in fairness palladium did that
1: well palladium is vaguely an a um a level-based system you know there's yeah, the vaguely, OCCs and
0: RCCs it, it, yeah but it's not entirely either so you know it's it's not Okay.
1: The, Palladium the is also a terrible
0: system. Hand. Are we really going to use that as our example here? There are. Listen, there are a lot of people who got their start with Rifts. There are. And I feel sorry for them, but they exist. Yeah. You know, and you know what? They learn to role play anyway. Very true. So still
1: wouldn't be the first system I would choose for anything at all. But it well, definitely, no. has been a, a popular of... gateway into the. Oh, I've got Rifts books in the closet over there. Don't don't yeah, get me I wrong. Yeah, I got a
0: copy of T M N T and other strangeness. Yeah. So. Hey, there you go. Couldn't figure out how to play it, but that's a different issue. (laughs) I think one of the problems that comes up with this as well is that people sometimes feel like their creativity is constrained. Sure. What am I doing with this character? There are options that are off the table to me. I'm having to think in this box, however that box is defined, right? I think that happens a fair bit. Oh, I can't do that. That's That's not something my character would do. Well, maybe it is. And then... That's interesting, but instead it's oh I can't do that. Or oh the GM won't let me do that, which is a really big problem in alignment systems in particular, but in a lot of mechanical systems it's oh you can't do that.
1: Well here's another really good example of something that would that would crack the DD alignment system. You are a character who is very pro-society, very law and order, very disciplined in your personal life, very good upstanding person, right? Lawful good, except for slavery is legal in your society and you're a radical abolitionist, like I said earlier. Well, that's a very chaotic good kind of a thing. So what alignment is your character?
0: Is he neutral good? Well, that doesn't really fit either. And, it, it, you know, it's... Yeah, it turns out that it's very easy to come up with characters that are outside the bounds of a very reductionist alignment system. And remember, the alignment system is kind of reductionist by design.
1: It is, yeah. It's designed to streamline things and make it easier...
0: Right. D&D was not originally designed for characters to be evil at all. You know, it was it was designed to be shorthand. Yeah, to the point where they
1: actually just had law versus chaos because that it was assumed you were playing a hero. Right.
0: And, you know, the addition of it, of all these other different alignments made it interesting in some ways because you got to have interesting mechanical effects. Oh, you know, this place uh punishes good characters but neutral stuff is fine. I was like okay cool well I uh, I can't swing my sword as well but my wizard can summon something and you know if it's neutral hey cool that Yeah that th- it that doesn't earth have any elemental problems. is
1: more powerful than it was before.
0: Right or it's the same power but we're all weaker and you know the evil guys are stronger here so this is a better op- tactical option in this encounter. And that's kind of what it was designed for but when you try and bring role playing into that very easily breaks down, whereas systems really designed for roleplay instead of dungeon crawling and exploration and tactical combat and that sort of thing, they are better at representing this and don't have as many problems. And I think that's why people struggle with alignment in particular. A, it's what they are familiar with, and the first time they really run into a, a character design wall. And second, it's not well suited for what everybody's trying to do as soon as they Stop doing a dungeon crawl.
1: You can definitely tell really fun stories with alignment. I think we made that clear in the beginning part of the episode. Yeah. I've, I've had great DD games. D- so have I. Very fantastic. Very good
0: ones. characters. Yep. But
1: at the same time, I don't think an,
0: a strict alignment system would have worked at all in our Shadowrun game. Well, there's a reason Shadowrun doesn't have an alignment system. Exactly. You know, you're playing morally ambiguous characters. That's a key part of that system is moral ambiguity. You are not certain who is good, who's going to betray you, who's going to be reliable. You don't know and you have to kind of gamble on that. Even your party may not necessarily all be on the same page. Sure, there are some things that are bad. Right. You're probably not going to You have a lot of moral debates and philosophical discussion with your local Yakuza guy. Or your local insect spirit. Right. But at the same time, if you start roleplaying with them, maybe it'll turn out that it's the villain with a heart of gold. You know, the assassin who is racked with guilt over all his kills, but is forced to do it. Maybe you can free him from that trap that he's in, or, you know, maybe it's, uh, Really a good guy who's got this terrible thing that he does, you know, behind the scenes and in, in private, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. You don't know. People and like Don Corleone
1: is... don't work so well in D&D, but they work great in Shadowrun.
0: Right. The guy who refuses to kill,
1: but is otherwise really evil, right? Yeah. Totally selfish and, you know, willing to screw over allies and...
0: Yeah. Lex Luthor is a Shadowrun character, not a and d character. Yeah. Lex Luthor does good things for his own ends. He'll, he'll do things, and he'll be totally upfront about why he's doing them sometimes, and sometimes he'll be like, oh, tricked you, yeah." and you don't know. And he's great for that. You always know he's playing you, but you're never quite sure how or why, and maybe he's playing you by putting all his cards on the table. You don't know. Yeah, and the the
1: funny thing is, is he might be playing you towards something that you do anyways on your own, or he might be playing you towards something that you would... Totally recoil at if you knew what he was getting at. You don't know, exactly. Especially based know. on who's writing him.
0: Yes, exactly. Whereas if I said, "Oh yeah, he's um, he's lawful evil." Well, that doesn't leave as much room.
1: Yeah, no, it the the paladin detects evil on him is like, well, he's bad.
0: Trust nothing smite. he says. Smite him. Right, and that's one of the other problems with alignment is it's it's a who is it okay to hit?
1: Yeah, and that can lead to some real. Some real laziness, the whole scan and smite problem where you've got right. a character who's playing a paladin badly who walks into a town, turns on detect evil, walks around, smites all those
0: people and then leaves. Right. And that's why people always role playing game forums have constantly be filled with how do I avoid the scan and smite problem? You know, in whatever whatever language they use for it, you know. And, you know, my answer is usually, well, it only shows uh, supernatural evil, yada, yada, yada. Or, you know, most people don't register and um So on and so forth. Right. Because the whole point is, how do you avoid somebody walking through town going, "Uh, you're in the bottom third of, you know, my morality scale? Stabby, stabby.
1: Yeah, Uh, I've my answers for that would be a read up on Michael Carpenter from the Dresden Files and b wandering around killing people just because they show up on your detection radar will cause you to lose your lawful good status in
0: about a minute. Right. And that brings one of the other problems is the GM goes. Aha! You've done a thing, you've you've stepped across this line, I now get to break your character. Which is no fun for anybody. Right, and that frustrates people. Because, well, if I'm acting up you know, it's the, well, I'm just playing my character. Well, you're not, you're being a jerk, but then it, it doesn't leave any room for the guy who is really playing his character, but his character kind of goes back and forth across that line, and he gets punished for it.
1: Well, and it also, for a certain type of GM... That ability to have the character get screwed over when they do something that's against type is just a little too tempting. I've heard plenty of stories about that, too, where GMs are constantly trying to trick the person who's playing the paladin in good faith and to... Falling for one reason or another because they think that's their job for some stupid reason. And it's not. For the record, if you're car- if one of your players has taken on the challenge of playing a paladin, it is not your job to try and make them fall every minute of every game session. Right. That is a jerk Or move.
0: anything that has any mechanical dependence on alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Or anything else. Honestly, don't be a yeah, jerk. Yeah. A samurai or a cleric or... It, yeah. Just don't do that. That's mean. So certainty is important. The mechanical constraints on character design matter as well. Maybe I want to play a samurai who, again, to to go with L5R here, maybe I want to play a samurai who is perceived as extremely honorable but isn't honorable at all. Yeah, he's
1: just very good at hiding it.
0: Yeah. There are a couple of rules for that, sort of, but those are restrictive. You know, oh, you, you only get, like, an extra point or things like that. You know, oh, if it's ever discovered, you lose this and this and this. That's not, that even as good as that system is, it's still not good for representing really complex characters or characters leading double lives, that sort of thing. And I've read very good novels. Shogun, which is an okay novel, but features characters who put on a very honorable front and hire ninja to kill people. Because that's what you do as a ruler is you put, you know, you put the best face on things, you act honorable in public, and if you need to deal with a problem... You have it dealt with. And most game systems don't handle that kind of character very well. Or at least when they're trying to represent that morality mechanically. Because it's very complicated. There are mechanical constraints that are assumed because they assume that the character is the direct actor.
1: Well, and to say nothing of the fact that the the ninja that you're hiring is in some ways very honorable. Because he will always, once he's hired, he stays bought. He will be totally loyal until the job is over.
0: Right. And or he is, depending on, well, depending on the ninja until somebody pays him more, right. maybe.
1: But, but he know? is also deliberately sullying his own honor. So you don't have to, which is kind of a bizarre concept to begin with, but that's how it's viewed at least potentially in some settings. Uh,
0: potentially it's well, it's a good story to explore. Yeah. Right. And L5R doesn't do a great job of that necessarily. It does a pretty good job, but there are again, some spots there are holes so having really complicated systems like that i think once it gets to the point where you're you're so complicated that it becomes the whole point of the game then either make a game exactly about that or find a system where that doesn't factor in and you're focusing on other things and just letting the the moral role play happen yeah i would
1: completely despair of trying to run a game set in the setting of The Witcher games using any kind of mechanical morality system. There's oh, no. so I'd, much granularity in the rain. character of
0: those people, it would be crazy. I'd run it with Rain or something like that and just say, cool, here, we've got a fantasy RPG system, let's let's run with it. Yeah, doesn't have any morality rules. Go. Yep. Cool. And that kind of brings us to picking the right system for your game. We've talked a bit about alignment and why it gets a bad rap. The GM says, this is what you do. It is prescriptive. It tells you what you do, rather than purely being descriptive. It encourages lazy role-playing, right? Uh, No, I'm lawful good. I can't do that. No, I'm I'm chaotic neutral. I just do whatever I want, right? All of these horror stories about every archetype of character, I think we, we all know them, right? Yeah, you don't generally hear too many horror
1: stories about the people who always play somebody neutral good, but I'm sure they're out there.
0: No, not neutral good necessarily, but true neutral? Oh yeah, true I hear neutral all is of horror brutal stories because it's lawful oh, good I don't do, I don't do anything. Yeah. I don't drive the story. I don't have an opinion. I don't do anything. I just sit here. Yeah, the the ones that it seems pizza. to be
1: the the worst are lawful good, true neutral, chaotic neutral, and any kind of evil are the ones that that cause the most problems.
0: And it's worth pointing out that that's more than half of the alignment options. It is. <laughs> so, you it's know, it's out is, of 9. And this is why alignment gets a bad rap. And again, yeah. I think it, ultimately it's because it's so reductive and mechanically enforced by bad GMs. Yeah. And to a certain degree bad taken players. advantage of by bad players. And I think if you, like we said, if you've got a very complicated game of questionable morals, either don't have a system for this or find one that's Sufficiently granular, enough. yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle, however, I think there's a ton of room. You know, Pendragon sounds really cool. You're playing nominally good characters, right? Knights and the like. But there are, you have obvious flaws that are mechanically represented. Uh, Fate and its aspect system is great for this. The uh, disadvantage system in GURPS can fill in for an alignment system if you're careful enough with it. It can. Sometimes I think those are, I get to steal the spotlight for role-playing now. They can. You know, it's a little iffy.
1: Some of some of the, the little bit more subtle ones, like Selfless or Selfish, uh, are a little less spotlight-steely, or at least potentially less.
0: Yeah, they can be. Codes of Honor that are 10 points or less tend to not be too bad. Unknown Army 2nd Edition has a uh, system of uh, stimuluses, right? Or not stimulus. Fear, Noble...
1: Tell you what, look that up and I can fill in for a second because there's another one I want to mention. So there's also there's the drives system that you'll find in some of the gumshoe games like Knights Black Agents that can be and some of those drives are things that are kind of amoral or immoral, and some of them are very noble or at
0: least can be. Yeah. Um, Unknown Armies has three stimulus fields that you kind of fill in on your character, your rage stimulus, your fear stimulus and your noble stimulus. And this is about all the morality that's in that game because it's, again, a kind of a world of grays in this occult underground that it's designed for. But, you know, your rage stimulus is the thing that makes you so angry you lose control of your character to a degree. Your fear stimulus is the thing that you're so afraid of you lose control of your character to a degree. And your noble stimulus is the thing that makes you a better person when you pursue it. It's the thing that says, this is me at my best. And you don't lose control of your character, you get some advantages and you act better when you are in pursuit of that, because it's the thing that means the most to you for the good of the world. It's you at your best.
1: And I really hope that that stays in third edition when it comes out, because when I saw that for the first time, I thought, that's brilliant. That covers yeah. so much and still allows you to have characters. It's it's just enough mechanics to make something for you to grab onto, but yes. it's loose enough where it's not going to be a straitjacket either.
0: It's a good example of less is more Yeah, in design. and
1: Whereas Pendragon might be a good example of more is more. You can definitely go either way.
0: Be. Yeah, because again, Pendragon is designed for those kinds of scenarios, right? Look at Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yep. Uh, it's a knight who's being tempted and his res- his resisting that temptation is the point of the story, not, you know, oh, hey, there's this knight who beheads himself and, you know, he's got magic powers. Cool. Yeah. Who cares? No. The morality is the point of that story. The quest for the Holy Grail only matters because a pure, the pure character is the only one who gets to get the Grail. Someone who fails even once can never get it. He might be able to see it if he's really, really good and atones. That's the point of that story. Yeah. So having a, a complex system for that is good because that's the game that you are playing. When do you want to include this in other sorts of games? I think lighter games work pretty well for this because it gives, especially if you pick something kind of generic and reductionist, just because it's a a quick and dirty, hey, these are the people we are.
1: Yeah, if you're you're playing something that's very black and white, like your traditional kind of D&D beer and pretzels fantasy game, this works great for that. If you're doing something that's based on... Kind of a fairy tale kind of ethos where, especially if you're playing with children or something like that, or if you're going for that kind of a story, this I'm could actually dis-
0: be an asset sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes I don't think it is because in that kind of scenario, I think it's a baseline assumption and you don't need a mechanic because you're not really testing it. Like it, the rule there there doesn't need to be a rule for it. It's a built-in assumption of the story. The,
1: the thing that I'm thinking of here that's that's making me kind of disagree with you is when uh, towards towards the end of Disney's Sleeping Beauty, right when when the prince yeah. throws the sword at Maleficent and the fairies bless it before it goes and that wonderful uh. sword of truth flies swift and sure that evil die and good endure thing. It's like. Yeah. That sort of effect you need alignment to have power for.
0: Do you though, or is it just built into the fact that this is the story and this you use your mechanics and say this is the killing blow on the dragon? Okay, cool. What makes this blow special?
1: And I will say your opinion on that question is what's going to determine whether or not you should use mechanical
0: alignment. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you know that brings us to the other thing: is if. Morality and good and evil need to have actual power for themselves in the world. Yeah. Right? If there are elemental good and elemental evil at work in the world.
1: I will say that even in uh, to, to kind of devil's advocate my own self from five minutes ago, even that's not 100% necessary, although it's definitely going to be easier to work mechanically and you'll have a wider menu of supernatural good and evil
0: options to play with. But right. and by the way, good and evil is kind of shorthand for any morality Dualistic system, that you're system using. yeah. And not even necessarily dualist. If you want there to be some fundamental force represented on some morality scale, whatever it is. Right.
1: But at the same time, in Nominee is out there, the player characters are literal angels and demons, and that doesn't have a super complicated morality system in it. It's very kind of white wolfy. Mm-hmm so you can definitely go that way it's just the questions that you should be asking yourself when you're picking this and so many other aspects in games is what do i want to do with this how do i want to represent these things what do i want it to look like in play how do i want to liberate or constrain my character's choices in character creation and in gameplay what's my group going to be most comfortable with You start answering Mm -hmm. those kinds of questions, and you'll have the answer to whether or not you want to use mechanical morality in your games.
0: Right. And depending on the game that you want to play, it may be that you just kind of have to suffer with some system, or the lack of a system, because everything else about the system that you want to play with works so well for your game.
1: Yeah, or you're going to have to hack something together, or...
0: Yeah, I've got this great system for a 17th century pirate game, but it doesn't have... This morality scale built in that I want to use. Well, sometimes you may just have to deal with it, or try and hack something in, and it's not going to be great. That happens. I get it. Like, this is never going to be the completely defining characteristic for a system that says, this is why we're choosing a game. I say never. It's probably not. Yeah. But, you know, it certainly factors in depending on the kind of story you want to tell. If I want a complicated... Moral story, yeah. I'm not going to go to D and D most likely. No. Or I'm just going to say, yeah. Kind of pick what you generally are, but we're going to house rule morality to the point where it's a completely different system.
1: Yeah, and if you are absolutely determined to use D and D for this sort of thing, you can make it work. You know, if if you're in one of those gaming groups where that's the only thing that the rest of the players are going to play, they're you know they're a great group otherwise, but they just have their one system, and darn it, they're not going to learn another one. Okay, yeah. you know, you can make it work. There, I remember seeing in um, some of the early Malhavik press stuff, Monty Cook did, did kind of like a sliding scale of how good or how lawful you were, assign yeah. numerical values to it, and above this level you were actually good, or below this you were in the neutral area. It, it, that kind of thing can work.
0: Sure. Well, and like, you know, you could very easily ignore light side and dark side points in a Star Wars game. If you really wanted to. Especially if you're not
1: th- playing any kind of force user.
0: Right. But, you know, they have mechanical effects at some point. And, you know, unless you're running a game where none of that matters at all and it's just blasters and spaceships, you may have to deal with it at some point And then just kind of be like, oh, well, um, we're just going to say that this works because it fits the story best. Yeah. Ra- rather than worry about the fact that we haven't tracked it this whole time. If your group's on board for the hand waving, by all means, wave your hands. Right. And, you know, if I ran a and d game for our, our group, do you think that I'd insist that you all sit in your alignment boxes? Oh, heck no. No. I would try and find a way to make that interesting and stretch that and fold and spindle and manipulate it to the point where it is interesting. Not use it as a, a bludgeon to punish characters and players with. But it's part of the system.
1: Yeah. And I, I think... I think perhaps you've hit on something there, and maybe we should close with this, but I I think a lot of the time, a lot of the perceived problems with alignment, either being there or it not being there, really come down to the attitudes of people around the table. If somebody is trying to use something in the game, whether it's the GM or one of the players, as a bludgeon, as you just said, against somebody else at the table, whether it's another player or a player against the GM or the GM against the player or players— that's where these stories about all of these problems start coming through. It's it it comes down to dysfunctional group dynamics. If you can work yeah. that stuff out, it really doesn't matter what system you're using.
0: It's fundamentally kinda of the same as rules lawyering. I'm I'm using these mechanics and interpretation of the mechanics to get my way and take over and, you know, tell you how this game is gonna go. And try and find an advantage where there shouldn't be one. Because I've turned it into something adversarial when it shouldn't be. Yeah. Or we can have fun together. That's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, and I think on that note, we can probably stick a fork in this one, huh? Yeah, I do want to hear other people's opinions of this. And I want it to be more than, oh, I don't like alignment systems, right? Uh, Tell me why it works, when it works for you, when it doesn't work, what you're trying to do in-game. If you want to seriously tell us... I strip it out of every game and I've never noticed a difference. Tell me why you've never noticed a difference and how you deal with cases where the system assumes you're using it. How does it work for you? Yeah. That sort of thing.
1: I would also say that this is one of those times where longer format responses are going to be good. Uh, if you want to get in on the next mailbag episode we do, this would be a great thing to write about. If you want to oh, yeah. engage with us in a little bit more of a thorough way on like Facebook or in the comments threads for the episode, man, is this ever a great
0: one to do it in. Absolutely. Go nuts. We want to hear from you. Uh, hosts at stgcast.org. Yes. Eh? Yeah. Eh?
1: Yeah, we'd love right. to do another mailbag episode. All it's going to take is a couple of good emails. We know you've got them in you. Exactly. exactly all
0: right on that note let's close this out i do want to remind everyone if you like our show rate and review us on itunes stitcher anywhere else that we happen to be syndicated rpgpodcast.com which by the way gamerati is taking over a little bit of gaming and podcasting news right there hmm. fun fact which is good because it kind of fallen by the wayside for the guy who originally started it but Gamerati's running it now and they're very good we had ed healy on several many episodes back he runs gamerati so yeah he's he's good, he's good great guy, guy. But anyway, if you like us, share us around, too, right? Social media, tell people about us. It helps. Trust me. And, of course, rate and review us.
1: And with that, I think we're done. Have a good one, folks.
0: Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey, Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.